Welcome to the 12th house. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wallace. We're so happy that you're here. We are also excited to intro a new little series that we're doing over the next six episodes. Yeah, we wanted to talk about inspired creation because for so many of you, our dear listeners, and the people in our community, we are, above all things, creators and intuitive creators at that. And there are so many bright sides to being a creative genius like you are but there's also a lot of shadow there especially like in a t- I think a time of social media where it's really easy to get burnt out mm-hmm. and also just being cognizant of how many people are going back to maybe their day job or going back to the workforce and maybe trying to maintain that thing that they started during the pandemic that maybe potential business or idea or project and how do you balance those two things and keep that sort of channel Um, of intuition and if you're a creative person what you're doing is pulling information from another realm and sort of bringing it forth into the world you are a channel how do you keep that clear and bright and energized without like I guess burning it out like you know when you plug a I don't know curling iron into a European socket (laughs) you know just like getting too much (laughs) yeah zapping it forever Yeah, and the pandemic has been great in so many ways, and not to say it's over, but as things shift back into not what they were before, because they can't, but new normals Mm -hmm. of living in the pandemic, I think a lot of us have experienced space and growth in certain areas and certain pillars, but then others maybe have been have had a lot of pressure put on them. So we have these pillars that are maybe a little bit burnt out and Mm -hmm. these pillars that have been refreshed. And so it's like, how do we bring some of them into balance, especially being a creator when, you know, a lot of that is dependent and a lot of that is self-regulatory stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. whether you're an artist or an entrepreneur, you don't have somebody always holding your hand and holding you accountable if ever yeah and so finding ways to make the creation process rejuvenating and regenerative is part of the whole act it's why you do it (laughs) you know like it should be life-giving it shouldn't feel like it's sucking things away from you like being a creator means to be like doing your sacred work so how do you do that without like sacrificing yourself and your well-being and sort of losing the forest for the trees which I think happens a lot when we get into the like sort of content creation cycle or even creative cycle right and then when we try to bridge that gap from making something out of the pureness of like our soul because it needs to be made and also then getting paid for it Mm -hmm. which we're going to talk about the witch wound over the next couple of weeks too as we talk about inspired creation but that is like directly connected to the witch wound so over the next couple of weeks we'll talk about how this all comes into play from an intuitive perspective from an actual logistical perspective from the squiggly brain perspective and from an archetype perspective and talk to you a little bit more about which creative archetype you might be or you might be embodying right now and maybe the light elements and the shadowy elements that you should be aware of so that you can keep yourself on track and do what you're here to do but today we have an amazing guest to just you know, hit the ground running talking about how to recover from burnout as a creative person. Anita Stubenra is, she's everything. A vision. She is the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. She kept saying things where I was like, like double taking, like what? You did that? You did that? Like Mm -hmm. how cool. And 
I don't know. What a great conversation. I feel like we could have talked forever. Anita has, or Anita spent over 13 years working at Apple in a creative writing capacity. She wrote the credo for Apple. She authored many presentations that were given to top executives like Steve Jobs and Angela Arendt. She was a speechwriter for many of these. I'm fucking that up. But she currently resides in Murphy, California, and she's running her own business. After such a long tenure at Apple and learning so much there, she has pivoted to creating a retreat space called The Land of Make Believe. And she also runs a really cool creative brand visioning agency called Cause and Effect Creative. Yeah, she has her fingers in a lot of cool stuff. And I think of many, I mean, I know I resonate with her. Mm -hmm. I won't speak for all of you, I'll speak from the eye. But I resonate with her being a multifaceted, multi-hyphenated creative who's interested in so many different things, who also has a squiggly brain, who's neurodivergent and wants to do a lot and is a super high achiever and getting caught up in that high achieving moment and being really good at a lot of stuff and then getting absolutely just totally burnt out Mm -hmm. and exhausted. So if you've been burned before, if you've reached burnout before and maybe had to go through the healing process through that, it's hard to trust yourself to come back. And I think that this conversation will help you, will help you do that and come back into trust with yourself so that you don't maybe make those same steps that you made before. And so that you can really do your work here, which is to shine. Yeah, I think you guys are really going to love this conversation. We also do talk about some generative strategies to use in creative work. And we also get into a little bit of the business of her past and what it was like to work where she worked. It was really interesting. Yeah, we we talk about salaries in this episode, just as a heads up. So you're definitely going to want to listen to it because it will increase your energetic minimum Mm -hmm. hearing actual numbers from other people. I think it will be really helpful to you if you feel like you're an under earner. Mm, That's true. And she does not shy away from that, which I really respected um, because it's something to normalize, which is really nice. And we... May it may sound like we meander, but we bring it back around. We land the plane, trust as us. true squiggly <laughs> brain people. Just just go with it. We cover a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we hope that you enjoy this episode and the rest of the series. It's going to be a fun one to venture on. Yeah, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you don't miss anything in this series. And if you want to go ahead and give us five stars, we appreciate that. We love you for it. We really like it. Thank you. It helps us get amazing guests like Anita on the podcast and helps more people discover us, which helps us make more content for you. So, you know, do us a solid. We appreciate it. Let's get into it. I'm Anita. The last name is Steuben Raw. Exceptionally difficult to read and then try to pronounce, but it just is like the stew has been raw before it's been cooked. I'm a creative. Right now, what I'm up to, I'm building an event and retreat space called the Land of Make and Believe on 14 acres out in Murphy's, California. It's about three hours east of San Francisco, halfway between Tahoe and Yosemite in the Sierra foothills. Cool. I'm out here with a bunch of animals, goats, sheep, alpacas, pigs, dogs, a cat, trying to build something that, you know, I am sort of beautifully out of my depth in. And to make that happen, to sort of fund this endeavor, I have a creative agency called Cause Effect Creative. And what I do is I help purpose-driven folks express who they are and what they're about in really powerful ways through mission, vision, purpose, expression, manifesto, writing, that kind of stuff. And I came to doing that. I spent 13 years as a creative at Apple, starting out in a retail store 
you know, wearing a name tag and a blue t-shirt, helping people do creative things on the computer and ended up getting pulled out of the store and dropped into corporate to help them do some creative things, which led to me getting hired into corporate as kind of a one woman creative agency for the team that built and designed the Apple stores. So I did that for about four and a half years, like art directing, architectural photography, making movies, designing presentations that would go in front of Steve and the board of directors, all that kind of stuff. And it's really super bizarre how I ended up as a writer because all along while that was happening, even before I started working at Apple, in college, I was super awkward when it came to love and romance. So I did one of the things that I do best, which is to take a class. And I took a class called Flirting for Nerds. Oh my gosh, I want to take this. <laughs> <laughs> it was life-changing. Rebecca, the woman leading this class, and this was out of like a sex shop, like on the north side of Chicago, a feminist sex shop. She taught me about conversation starters hmm. and it kind of blew my mind. And I did something else that I do best, which is like take an idea to kind of a ridiculous extreme. Mm-hmm. And I started a blog as an excuse to talk to smart, sexy guys. <laughs> and I called it Indoor Boys. Oh, and I, I actually wrote it like on my contract to Apple as like my own intellectual property, not that Apple would ever have any interest <laughs> in trying to claim know. it as theirs, you but I did. Know. You, you never, never know. know. And the woman who ran communications at Apple heard about it and invited me out to coffee. And coffee turned into a job interview. And suddenly I was hired as a writer at Apple. And I did that for, gosh, I'm bad with numbers. I want to say like five, six, seven years maybe. And ended up writing Apple's Credo and becoming a speechwriter for Angela Arendt, who at the time I think was like the highest paid woman in North America. Wow. Wow. Mic drop. I know, seriously. <laughs> that, I, that just got my mind spinning. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that's right. People like that need a speechwriter. Like they yeah. need someone to 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 spin up words for them and be make them sound yeah. as smart as they are, but also like as powerful and eloquent and direct, deliberate. And of course, mm-hmm. a writer they need a writer to do that. Like it makes sense that they might not be naturally skilled at that. Well, and and also helping them identify what audience they're with at any given moment, because somebody at that level so many meetings, so many different audiences, Mm -hmm. uh, and switching gears, just remembering what are the talking points for this given situation? How do you thread all of these different endeavors together in a way that people can understand a cause and effect relationship Mm -hmm. and in a way that they care about and can do something about? To kind of take it back a little bit to flirting, I think we talk about this a lot, especially when we're talking about copywriting. That good copywriting, you're often flirting with your audience. And oh, that's interesting. What a skill that is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the art it is, really, to know how to flirt because so much of flirting is about connection mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. about finding those sticking points of how to relate and how to expand the conversation, maybe take it a step further and have a little surprise and delight. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's really important to us as we talk about how to get into that space of having fun with writing and the creative process. We call it charm and disarm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a really good flirt also makes you feel seen. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's what a charming person is, is surprising and also like they give you 100% of their focus and attention. Like they're truly listening when they're charming, you know? 
I love that. I want to know more about this class. <laughs> <I'm> still- <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like blog. 20 years since I yeah. took it. I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? It probably have like evolved. Maybe they have like a like a multi-day course or something. From your speech writing and your blogging days, is that something you continued or did you kind of have to let that go while you were taking full-time work at Apple? Yeah, I mean, I kept the blog going kind of in the background at Apple for a while. And then some things made it hard to sustain. And a lot of these things have been solved with technology since then. But, you know, literally just having a conversation, then trying to transcribe it, Mm -hmm. right? Those these apps that do that for you didn't exist then. And so it's so tedious Mm -hmm. to try to do it yourself. So that was a huge barrier for me. The tech, even just like the website stuff, I was trying to use a web uh, WordPress site and it just kept breaking (laughs) constantly (laughs) and it ended up getting hacked and it like and I just never brought it back to life after that. And then, you know, as you would imagine, working for a company like Apple takes, you know, a good portion of your life and attention and energy and then some. So (laughs) what's that? Part of your soul. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I don't necessarily mean that pejoratively, too. It's, you know, it can be completely inspiring. Right. When you believe in when you write literally write the credo for a company like you do believe you have to believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. You can't write that from a cynical point of view. But it is fascinating, you know, to have lived so many different lives in relationship to a company and like having been extremely burnt out and cynical to like falling in love again to being able to write that to like becoming super burned out and Mm -hmm. cynical again. And I mean, I think a lot of times when I talk about Apple, especially in short conversations, like folks want me to have like sort of one single point of view on the experience. And I just don't, you know, it's so much more complex than that. And it's it's it was beautiful and like maddening and, you know, all at the same time, disappointing at points. And I'm still super grateful for all of it. Yeah. It sounds like you've always kind of been someone who's had something they're working on on the back burner or maybe not even on the back burner, adjacent burner, while Mm -hmm. doing a more forward-facing job job. Sounds like that's what you're doing right now. And how do you not burn yourself out while juggling that real job that's maybe what's paying you or even like offering you some creative respite or inspiration and doing your own thing. Because I think that we can tend to like go to the extreme of either being completely checked out of our day job and being miserable, which Mm -hmm. kind of sucks for everyone. Like it uh, mostly sucks for you. (laughs) Because if you hate what you do for eight hours a day, then like, guess what? You hate a lot of your life, (laughs) you know? So how do you like, now that you've done that for so long, it sounds like maybe your MO, what's your perspective on that? Like, how do you balance those two things? I mean, it's a really good question. There are points at which like I did find creative fulfillment in the day job, Mm -hmm. right? The work that I was doing. And I was lucky to be a creative who was gainfully employed, right? Right. Of my friends who went to art school, like I was it, (laughs) you know? And it was one of those things that fed into like when I knew I wasn't happy and I knew I needed to do something different, it was like, are you crazy? Right. right. You're you're oh, an right. artist who has a paycheck. <laughs> right. And a right? great paycheck from Apple. Yeah. And a and a pretty decent paycheck. Yeah. yeah. So there are moments when it was fulfilling and the moments when it wasn't I mean, a really sort of silly example, you know, one of the teams that I worked on was quite toxic, like in all transparency. Very challenging leader uh to work with, and I worked very closely with them. And 
my creative outlet when I felt like I had no control over so much of my life was what I wore. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And I I challenged myself for whatever reason arbitrarily to not wear black for yeah. a year. Nice. I mean, that's quite a challenge yeah. at Apple where it's the uniform. Well, for a lot of people, yeah, especially if they wanted to model themselves after Steve. But I didn't really see anybody wearing the black turtleneck in the, the New Balance. Yeah, and I it it gave me some sense of control and creative outlet, you know. And I did find it fulfilling, and it changed it changed the way that I dressed, you know, from then on. But I feel like to balance these things, you have to have something that is bringing you joy somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't, you know, I think that's kind of the difference between burnout and overwhelm, right? With burnout, there's just nothing left to give. Mm. Overwhelm, you kind of just don't know which way to start or to go. Either side, you have to have joy somewhere because if you don't, you can't renew any of the stuff with burnout, right? Mm. There's no recharging of the batteries, no refueling, no reinvigorating. With overwhelm, Right. Sometimes joy can point us to the direction where we should start. Right. Like sometimes you get the goosebumps and you're like, oh, I think my feet want to head in this particular direction towards this project right now. It can be a balance, though. I mean, uh, I love the way you describe like folks with squiggly brains. Sometimes being, uh, you know, the holder of a squiggly brain, it can be distracting, you know, to get can you know, be attracted <laughs> to the shiny yeah, thing i would say that that's like the that's the typical <laughs> yeah so you know i mean and, and when you find joy in a lot of things that can be challenging as well oh yeah because you're like i like every everything is interesting to me like where do i mm-hmm. even start mm-hmm. and i want to do it all at once like i want to eat everything my eyes are bigger than my stomach and then you very quickly reach overwhelm which can you know spill over into burnout because you are just getting through things to go through them like you're going through the motions of the creative process because you need to get something out or you want to be able to jump to the next thing almost like you can't be in the moment in the creation of it and then I Mm -hmm. think that's where burnout comes and I'm so interested to see how people return to the office because I think this last two years has really made us question like our why obviously and how we do the things that we do the systems that have been set up for us or that we've had to sort of fold ourselves into especially squiggly brained people Mm -hmm. maybe noticing hey I I work really well when I'm not at my office or it's actually really hard for me to focus when there's like my husband eating cereal like like, that's my big pet that was like when I knew I had ADHD extreme ADHD when like I literally couldn't write an email because my husband was chewing cereal in the other room and I was like I cannot do this (laughs) but I think that we have this we're at this moment this inflection point where we can either choose to go back and sort of fall into the muscle memory of how things were or we can pick a new path and I'm curious for you like first off what do you think is going to (laughs) happen and second like how can people stay fresh to that like the new path that they might want to choose instead of going backwards yeah, I mean, I do think there's going to be a, a tension um, between folks who want to go back and want it to just immediately be the way that it was. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There kind of is no way for it to be the way that it was. Oh, my gosh, no way. But don't you think we have, like, rose-colored glasses on the way things were before? 
Like, oh yeah, everyone nostalgia. hated their jobs before yeah. this, you know. But nostalgia is such a sexy drug it when really it, 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 things are unknown, and I think we're at this interesting inflection point of going back to work because there's all of these hybrid models that are being tested, and it's like, are those really gonna work? Yeah, I mean, and there's there's there are companies that are trying to sort of force a model of flexibility on people that isn't actually flexible, right? Like be in the office like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, when whatever, three random days a week. Right. When yeah. for somebody, it might actually be easier for them to be there a week on, a week off. Oh, yeah, right? totally. Like, But they're just not interested in having that kind of conversation because it's seemingly too complex mm-hmm. when it might not actually be. Like the number of variables or variants like is not infinite. You have a finite number of beings and there might just be certain kinds of things that bring people together in person are best suited for. And maybe we can take a look at that. You know, there are some things that I do miss about being around other humans. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm out on 14 acres, right? Mm-hmm. I talk to my dogs. They're not the greatest in a brainstorm. They like all my <laughs> ideas, you know? They're but, just like, yes, more of that. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, they're just wagging their tails. They're like, yes. <laughs> Mom, yeah, that bringing... is it. That idea is genius. <laughs> exactly. As long as they get fed, they're they're like, yeah. Yeah, say more of that. Uh, but there are certain things, you know, I am a verbal processor. So having a conversation with people to think things through, like I miss that. And for brainstorms specifically, like I think those are really well suited to an environment where people are in person and like moving physically. Again, I'm also kinesthetic, so that helps me and it helps focus a conversation because I think digital spaces, especially when we're seated, right? Brainstorms tend to evolve into conversations, which aren't the same thing. We're missing the physical cues, the kinetic energy that is exchanged. And we talk also a lot about body mirroring. Yeah. Yeah. Mirror neurons and also like, yeah, gestural foreshadowing of like we understand a lot just by moving. And sometimes we understand something physically before we understand it mentally and being able Mm -hmm. to move and watch someone else gesture can Mm -hmm. help Mm -hmm. us come to a determination. Yeah. Well, and some communicators are primarily nonverbal, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it's been interesting being a speechwriter for someone like that mm. uh, because I remember sitting in a meeting and this person was communicating and you're sitting there in the audience. You get what they're saying. You sort of get their vision through like body language and kind of charisma sort of shooting stars that come out of them. Mm-hmm. When you leave and you actually look at what was said, like if you transcribe the conversation, you're like, I don't think they actually said anything (laughs) yeah and it's fascinating because you know they've gotten to where they are which is significant role right but you wouldn't even notice that Mm. when you're working with them yeah speaking of working alone what are your practices that help you or with people that you're working with your teams how do you look out for signs of burnout and prevent that? Yeah. So, you know, when I was saying earlier that this is very alive for me right now, right? I'm trying to do so many different things at the same time, mm. right? Trying to build this event and retreat space, trying to generate the money, the revenue that I need to reinvest in it, building podcasts that I'm going to launch this summer, developing curriculum for different courses to help teach people how to do some creative things that can help them. And sometimes I get overwhelmed. Like, okay, of the 17 things that I could do right now, which is the one that I should be doing at this moment, I prioritize, you know, verbally with support. You know, I have an assistant, Meg, who is like a godsend, and she helps me think out loud. I have other tools that I actually 
So I don't have a whiteboard in my space that that I can use very well. But this week actually became quite clear that I need this tool Mm -hmm. in my physical space so I can be up and moving and like putting stickies and things, rearranging them. So I made kind of my poor man's version of it where I took like a big sticky (laughs) and put a bunch of little stickies on it to just like, and I timed myself, Yeah, you know. I have a time timer, so I'll set it for five minutes and I'll say, okay, only five minutes. How many different themes around the word gift can I come up with Mm -hmm. and like, you know, come up with this? And I'm like, cool, that was quite productive. And it gives me a little bit of a jolt of energy to do the next thing. Mm -hmm. But there's, you know, some of it also so energy based. And right now I'm, I'm doing pretty well, but for, you know, a year prior to the pandemic and really like the first year of the pandemic was really hard for me. I got diagnosed in an early 2020 with stage three Lyme and, you know, not understanding like, why am I so tired when I love what I do? Mm -hmm. I love who I work with. Like I love where I live and I have so much passion for the things that I want to do in my life and I have this much energy to do them, Mm -hmm. you know? So I tried to get really creative around where would I put any energy and it had to be in things that that were furthering the big vision, Mm -hmm. the threads across all of the different endeavors that I have and gave kind of the most return on energy and not just investment, not even necessarily just capital, although that was and is important. Hey, it's Michelle just dropping in real quick. If you've been nodding your head profusely to everything that Anita is talking about when it comes to burnout and feeling creatively stuck, I have got some good news for you. We created QuantumCon, the Get Shit Done Weekend, expressly for you, dear listener. QuantumCon is our two-day immersive weekend experience on April 30th and May 1st right here in sunny LA. And we really wanted to make this event Well, mostly because you requested it and we wanted to make something for you, but also because we've been there before, that feeling of being at the edge of feeling burnt out, of having projects that you're really excited about, but just can't seem to get going on and feeling like you're kind of in this feedback loop of always being really busy, but never actually getting anything done. And for us as a team, we found that taking the time to just put our head down, do some deep work, and kind of get into, not to sound cheesy, the vortex really makes a huge difference. Not just on what we're able to create, but how we feel about our work and what we're here to do. So that's what we've done with QuantumCon. We have programmed it. I've literally thought of everything from breakfast and healthy lunch and all the snacks you could possibly desire to immersive workshops where you can ask questions and get help to a $400 swag bag that is just chock full of goodies that are going to help keep you motivated and focused, cozy, and really like in the zone, for lack of a better word. It's going to be such an amazing weekend. As a heads up, spots are limited. We're just trying to keep everyone safe and healthy. And we're really excited about this. We want to do more. So if you're excited about QuantumCon, you want it to come to your city, send your friends to LA. And if you're in LA or nearby, or you want to make a weekend trip of it, we'd love to have you. You can sign up at holisticism.party and you can learn more there. One of the things that you mentioned in your notes that I thought was interesting was talking about opportunity debt. And I'd be curious to hear a little bit more on your perspective on that as it relates to trying to discern what is the right thing to focus on and when. Yeah. 
So the concept of opportunity debt came out of a prompt that I was given for Women's History Month. And it was based on this idea of like, you know, are we lifting women up or are we holding them back in some capacity? And as I was having a conversation with Meg, we were talking about our own experiences, you know, professionally that we've had. And something that was clear was this idea that sometimes when we're trying to advocate for the next thing, whether that's uh, renegotiating salary or contract or trying to get a promotion, something like that, oftentimes we get this either explicit or implicit, you should be grateful for what you have mm-hmm. and where you are. And kind of this unspoken, like, how dare you ask for more? And I was like, that's that's happened to me, that it happened to her, and I had witnessed it happening. And I was like, what is behind that? And that's what led to this concept where, like, what's really happening is that person, for one reason or another, believes that they are responsible for where you are and that you are beholden to them mm-hmm. for your success And that they're holding those strings in some capacity and the terms of that relationship are not explicit. So the strings, the terms keep changing, right? There's no way to get out of the opportunity debt when someone holds you in it. And I think it's not always conscious. Sometimes it's kind of just the way that things have been done, this like kind of quid pro quo concept going way back into olden times. But it's it's insidious. And I think it happens a lot more to women, people of color, any anyone who seems to have a lower position of perceived power Mm. in any given like power dynamic. And for me, the way that this showed up like in my life, one example, (laughs) I was angling for a raise in my first corporate job at Apple. I've been there, I think a year, maybe two years and thought I had done really good work. I had really good reviews, all of the things. And my boss came back and said, but you had surgery right? Yeah. I had sleep apnea surgery, medically necessary. I was like not breathing while I was sleeping. I was falling asleep while I was driving and like automatic behavior. I would drive and I would have no idea how I got somewhere. It was scary. So I had surgery to correct it. I was out of work, I think for maybe a month, came back. His version of opportunity debt in that moment was like, but Apple paid for your surgery, right? And it wasn't even Apple. It was like my insurance that I had as a benefit through Apple, right? And at the time, like I'm so, I was so junior and I didn't have words to express like why that was so wrong Mm -hmm. and not fair and and, and just like, what, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to react to that? Yeah, that's wild. I, I, I've actually, I feel like I've seen both sides of this, like almost both extremes of it. Like mm-hmm. that, like just the story that you just told of an employer using something that should just be a right <laughs> or like a given mm-hmm. as like, mm-hmm. well, you should just be grateful that you still get to be here. But I've also, and I think this can be really confusing for people who have experienced marginalization because it keeps us second guessing, second guessing ourselves of almost the opposite of like asking for perhaps like more than we are entitled to in a way do you know what I mean like can you give um, me an example like saying you know well I want I want you to be an advertiser on my podcast I have 5,000 listens and that's going to be five grand whereas the going rate for something like that is xyz and I think it can be really hard to 
find a middle ground, especially as someone who maybe doesn't work in a corporate space or have peers that they can bounce ideas off of or have conversations around what would be like not just appropriate because appropriate isn't the right word, but an equal like consume consumption rate. Like what Mm -hmm. feels like an equal energetic exchange between the two of us? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I think it can be like really confusing and dysregulating because it can feel like, well, is this, am I not getting paid because of my identity or am Mm -hmm. I getting taken advantage of? Or am I actually, is what I'm asking for maybe like not the first place to start and I can develop this relationship and then maybe ask for what I'm asking for. But Mm -hmm. I think so often we are in one on one end of the spectrum or on the other end of the spectrum and both feel bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the optimal relationship is one in where you can have the conversation, mm-hmm. right? Where you can be like, okay, cool. I see what you came in with as a quote. Here's what is going, the going rate for this. Here's what my business can actually sustain. Here's here's why. And, it, and money strictly doesn't need to be the only sort of exchange, right? And I love that you guys explore this. There are other ways to support each other. And I mean, I'm literally sort of going through a version of this right now where, you know, I was looking to work with a team of copywriters just so that I'm not the only one writing all the content, doing all the things, right? Trying to do the the smart thing you do as an entrepreneur, which is make yourself redundant in roles that you shouldn't be in. Yeah. And the bid that came back, like, frankly, shocked me. (laughs) I've been there before. (laughs) I'm like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And and as a copywriter, you kind of know, too. Like, you're like, this is what, I mean, this is what I would ask for. (laughs) So, right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I don't know whether I'd given off the impression that my business was in a place to sustain that kind of investment or what. And I, and I do, I love paying people well, Yeah, right? Absolutely. That is a value of mine. I like, I want people to feel appreciated and rewarded for the work that they do. And I can't afford that, right? <laughs> and it was so far beyond what I could even begin to afford that it was mm-hmm. like, the bri- there is no bridge between us. <laughs> right. You're like, I don't know how to negotiate down from here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was going to spend, you know, good God, like $37,000 yeah. on email, yeah. <laughs> you know, I would be hiring George Tannenbaum, who is this like yeah. badass, like copywriter. He might be $7,000 a day, but you get your money's worth from George. Yeah, you need him for one day. <laughs> you get him for one day, like... He can knock some stuff out. And it's interesting because like the follow-up from that has been around, you know, one of the copywriters being a junior copywriter, Mm -hmm. like advocating for, you know, asking what she's worth and all the things. And I hear that and I appreciate that. I really do. And when I was looking at working with her specifically, it was because I could see some potential and she's young enough in her career that I could help develop it. Mm-hmm. Right. Not that not that she's at this mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. that warrants uh, a, a significant hourly rate currently, mm-hmm. but I could see her getting there. Mm-hmm. And I was I was willing to be part of the getting there, mm-hmm. um, you know, for for both of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, like when you work with someone more junior, you know that there's going to be a coaching up that happens. And like that's part of the energetic exchange of like, I'm going to spend more hands-on time with this person, more like an employee relationship in a way than I would absolutely trusting like a total expert to just take this completely off my hands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I know folks, you know, writers from Apple 
who don't make a like a third of what she was proposing to charge. And these are writers who have teams of writers mm-hmm. and who are like phenomenal in their craft. Right. So and and it's I mean it's tricky, right? Because you don't I don't want to like come back and be like, you're not worth what you think you're worth. It's not that strictly. Right. But it's a it's a component of experience and skill. Yeah. And and the kind of working relationship. And so I'm in the moment right now figuring out like, okay, is there a bridge mm-hmm. back to to working together or not? Mm-hmm. You know? I don't know. And it's it's I don't wanna have I don't want to have a power dynamic between us where it feels like, you know, she's where she feels like she's had to come back and sort of try to get the business. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? By like lowering her rates to what is acceptable. And I don't want to have to feel like, you know, I don't want to feel I just, you know, I don't want to feel like awkward. Yeah, you know? well, that relationship can like build resentment, right? If someone yeah. feels like I'm lowering my rates to like work with this person or if they came in just like with absolutely, you know, they added a zero to their numbers <laughs> because they thought, you know, which is always a compliment, right? When someone thinks that you're like insanely successful so so much so that you could afford a $37,000, you know, a month copywriter. Um, like how nice <laughs> how flattering <laughs> but but also like are they going to be embarrassed that like actually really like yeah I could do it for a lot less <laughs> and like and I could do it just as well and it, it makes me really like we talk to so many content creators on this platform and we are content creators and so are you and we're, we're creative people and I think that can be really challenging uh, that middle ground for creative people of, okay, how do I like ask for value? Because what I do is invaluable. Like if I write you Mm -hmm. an amazing sales page, that could earn you millions and millions and millions of dollars beyond this sale, like, Mm -hmm. you know, above and beyond. It could introduce you to people who follow you for years who end up being your clients. My work is invaluable, I know that, which makes it really hard to put a price on it. And I also Mm -hmm. know that I need to like keep a roof over my head and and also have my needs met beyond the basic needs. I need to be able to thrive. And I think that is tied to burnout of almost having to convince yourself and others of your value and always Mm -hmm. trying to find that and use money or like a salary or an hourly rate as a way to express your value. If that's what you tie your value to, you're going to burn out instantly because those two things really aren't correlated, you know? Yeah. I mean, that... That sums up so much of my entire experience at Apple. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, so, you know, I would actually be curious without me telling you, which I will tell you, but what would you have expected my salary at Apple to be? I would, uh, anyone who works at Apple and Netflix, Facebook, I'm like, you probably earn starting salary between 100 and 150K. What do you think? So. What What was your technical like title and level? Or do they do levels at Apple? I forgot. They kind of do, but they actually yeah. don't always do it in a way that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, you wrote the credo, so I would say, like, you're probably, like, head writer situation. Yeah. And I would say easily, like, median salary would be 150 k So you second that? 
I second that, but then my But my, you're telling me no. My hesitant <laughs> my hesitancy is because Apple's not a new tech company um, and that reflects new tech company salaries. That's right. That's you're so smart. Um yeah. <laughs> Apple is a legacy company. Old money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Similar to HBO who yes. like now it still exists within the other tech giants but actually operates from a very old school corporate yep. perspective. <laughs> That's so true. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm dying to know what was it. <laughs> <laughs> so when I worked in the store, I can't remember my hourly rate, but it was decent for being hourly, right? When I got hired out of the store into corporate, it was fascinating because they were looking for somebody who was kind of this like one woman creative agency, right? Like, which is, doesn't exist in a single person because smart people specialize, yeah. right? <laughs> right. Uh, or, or you become an influencer, which if you're an influencer, you are a one person creative agency. Yes. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So and I had read the book like women don't ask about the salary gap in mm-hmm. in negotiation like mm-hmm. before this conversation happened. Yeah. And so I had done my research. I was like, what is the going rate for someone who can make movies, design presentations that go in front of the Steve Jobs and the board? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, all of these different things. And I was like, OK, so in an agency, that person junior, mm-hmm. you know, starting out, maybe 115. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right depends what kind of agency agencies can be very stingy yeah that's true. it's also true yeah and when i shared that with the recruiter they laughed wow no and they said well you've got family in california don't you want to be near your family what <laughs> and i was like what does that have to do with anything with anything yeah you know, hey, you don't know the relationship of me to my family. Yeah, I got along yeah, with right? them and I would How love to be around them, but you have no idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, you know, I ended up starting at, I think, 85. With or without RSUs? No RSUs. Oh. Were you full-time or contract? I'm getting really gritty. Interesting. Full-time. And at the time, uh, stock was not granted to anyone in retail corporate below a director level. Okay. Oh. I guess they yeah. have to be competitive now, and that's the only reason they do it now. Yeah. So, you know, it took me 13 years to get to 130. No. Yeah. Whoa. And so, you know, and when I left, I had some stock, but a lot of it had invested, and I got like a stock bonus for writing the credo, but okay. it would like would take four years, You're you like, know, thanks. before I would that's actually have gotten do. it. And at the time, you know, by then I was so burned out, there was no way I could stay any longer and right. do it, you know. And I do actually, I, I owe the jump that I did make to a manager that I had who saw what had happened. And it was partly because I was coming from retail, right? They're like, from retail to this salary, that's a jump. But that's not what the market says about this role, independent of being in a store. Um, So for me, like leaving Mm -hmm. and starting to even try to get a sense for what my value is, right? Because I kept hitting the ceiling, Mm -hmm. right? If I can write the credo, and if I can write for it, the highest paid woman in North America, mm-hmm. and I still can't get a promotion, and I still can't get a raise, mm-hmm. like, there is nothing else I can do. Mm-hmm. And I was naive enough to think, like, I'll show up, I'll do a really good job, someone will recognize that, and I will mm-hmm. get rewarded, right. you know? Are you a projector and, in human design? Uh, I think that I am. I haven't done, mm-hmm. I haven't, like, I took the one little that test. Right. That's literally exactly what projectors do. We, like, yeah. wait to be seen. What yeah. we have to do, we have to wait to be recognized in order for um, people to, like, for us to really shine. Like, and that usually means we just do our work heads down until someone sees us. 
but yeah, it can backfire on you. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was always way more about just doing the thing versus talking about doing the thing or self-promoting yeah. about doing the thing. I could yep. care less. Yeah. I, you know, it got to a point where like, you know, there was enough. I was the only female creative lead. Wow. Right. Yeah. In, in retail communications. And <laughs> It got to a point where like, you know, different folks, we'll say different men on the team, right, would repeat ideas that I had shared, right, as their own, oh. right, later on in other meetings where I wasn't present. Oh. But my colleague knew where the idea originated. And so she would speak up and she would be like, yeah, um, yeah, Travis, that's great. I really loved when Anita shared that idea <laughs> in a meeting two meetings ago, right? Like, yeah. you have to do silly things like that or you or you get to where your ideas start to have their own stamp as well so that they mm -hmm. they travel out in advance of you mm -hmm. and people know where they come from mm -hmm. and i hate thinking that way yeah. right cuz the idea is that a good idea should survive it should help people it should do something it bring people together you make something that's like worth making mm -hmm. so the idea that like championing myself mm -hmm. i just am not interested yeah, it's like it's it's a different form of well, I think it like stifles creativity mm -hmm. to be constantly almost thinking like how is this going to get me? How am I how am I going to use this to advance myself? Like true, I think like all of us who are creative types or whatever, we're really channels of, you know, we're taking information from some other place, right? And it's our responsibility to metabolize that and share it with the world in the best way that we possibly can and those mm -hmm. ideas have chosen us for a reason and it's our you know like we have to do it we have to share it or else they will go to somebody else they will they they need to their message needs to be spread and mm -hmm. so the idea that you'd have to like also sort of like project yourself forward instead of and like prioritize yourself as opposed to like that kernel of the idea mm -hmm. and the work that it will do in the world is so backwards from a creative perspective and I think again like taking this back to burnout when we're not tapped into our channel yeah. like when we're so distracted by trying to like progress ourselves in a way because of because it's a necessity because we live in a work environment that's toxic and doesn't allow for anything else that will burn us out so fast because we're not connected to our energy source which is like yeah that channel of idea or inspiration and the answer that you're looking for from your peers from your leadership from whoever you're not gonna get it mm -mm. right nope. it just it just that's not where that comes from and so it is it's a perpetual like exhaustion of trying to prove oneself and prove one's worth while intrinsically knowing you know like gosh darn it like i mm -hmm. i do good work i know i do good work right yeah. and sort of beating yourself up against this like arbitrary construct that is like their you know sort of what do you call it compensation package that they could draw from mm -hmm. you know or that they can't give anyone like glowing reviews across all of the different criteria because they're just not allowed to like so silly. Yeah. And it, for me, one of the greatest gifts I've experienced since leaving was having conversations with clients and prospects who told me what they thought my work was worth mm -hmm. in a way that shocked me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had one conversation uh, with a client and I, we, I hadn't even written a proposal at this point in time, right? And I just guided her through like a series of questions and 
at the end of that conversation, she's like, if you told me right now, it costs $100,000 to work with you, I would gladly pay it. <laughs> and I was like, what? You're like writing what? that down on a notepad. You're like, right, $100,000. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was nervous about telling people that projects would start at $6,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to touch on as we kind of round out burnout is what you had talked about with play and how we can use play as creatives to reignite. You know, even if you're in a job where you're like, huh, I'm feeling a little burnt out, but like I'm not ready to leave or whatever it might be, whether it's just that you're, it's you and you mm-hmm. and your mm-hmm. own mind, you're working mostly at home alone. What are the different ways that you like to use play with your teams or just yourself? Yeah, I think for my mind, my squiggly brain to get engaged <laughs> in play is always about trying to find a way in, mm-hmm. uh, an unexpected way into a problem. And even sometimes visualizing, like if the problem itself is like some kind of object in 3D space, like what is the way to approach it from above, from below, from the side? What's the way to like sort of split an atom and get mm-hmm. to the core of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and just finding, I mean, one one example of this would be like a concept, uh, like take this and put it there. So if if baseball exists here, what might baseball look like in a totally different kind of environment, right? On an ice skating rink, what does it do? If, if baseball is a thing you're trying to like promote or learn from or whatever, putting it into an entirely different context will tell you more things about baseball than if you're just looking at it straight on, mm-hmm. right? And doing that i mean it's a pretty bizarre example because i don't do anything with baseball or ice skating but <laughs> but it it starts to get your mind interested at least my mind interested in kind of the puzzle aspect of something mm-hmm. and especially when you've got an objective that you're trying to meet and if you've got more than one objective you can start to find interesting ways to connect the dots across things mm-hmm. and like how can you pinball and like ping different things at the same time Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talk a lot about finding unique intersections of disparate topics, especially for squiggly brained folks who are interested in so many different things and how to really embrace that as almost a superpower if you can really yeah, I mean, own it and acknowledge it. Sometimes if you can even just conceptualize drawing a straight line across these different things, right? So say you love like figure skating, say you love baseball, say you love, I don't know, shuffleboard, right? Draw lines across them and where do they intersect? What's the same and what's mm-hmm. different? Mm-hmm. Right. And then it starts to tell you things. I mean, if it's something personal to you and these are things that you really like, you can actually start to examine what are the values underlying these things? Mm-hmm. Like what's consistent across all of them? And then what's consistent in my life? And then that becomes a really fascinating exercise to understand like what drives you mm-hmm. and what might drive the people that you want to connect with. Because those values that you live in your life are the ones that other people are attracted to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that can be just like a creative way to get at even understanding what they are. Right, right. I think so many people are kind of good at the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but their own brain, <laughs> you know, like how do yeah. I go from, you know, this thing that I love to this totally separate thing that I think is really interesting and sort of hop, skip and jump. And actually like in this space of being able to create our own content, like Oh, this, what we're doing right now, didn't exist five years ago, making yeah, a podcast, right. right? Let alone in a studio, like with professional mics that we could do on our own. 
like that. Mm -hmm. It's been over the last 10, 15 years, it's phenomenal what we've been able to create. And so much of our thought process and our understanding metabolization of ideas comes through the creative experience of making something, right? Of writing something. Like you said, you're a verbal processor. I think a lot of people are really good at making content and connecting a bunch of ideas, but don't always get down and sort of like go under, go a little bit deeper for themselves of like, yeah, but what is what does that mean? <laughs> you know, like I know yep. I'm interested in all these things, but what is it like? What's the subtext, I guess, of that for me? What is the philosophy? What is the meaning making system of my life that I see the world through? And to your point or what, you know, just repeating what you said, like, what's the through line? Like, what is what do all these things have in common? That and the digging a little bit deeper, you know, in content in the content world, there's so many templates and so many mm -hmm. formulas. Yeah. If you just scratch the surface a little bit more, uncover why that formula works. Mm -hmm. It has a lot to do with values that are at stake and empathy. Mm -hmm. And if you can understand what it's doing, you don't have to follow the formula. Mm -hmm. You can do something that is unique and that is true. And you could listen to that channel that's coming through you. Mm -hmm. And you can think about who it is you're trying to flirt with and connect with. Okay. And you can reach them in a meaningful way as mm -hmm. opposed to just being like, I'm following this particular sort of pseudo-confessional style of email writing. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The people recognize and it starts to feel like artifice, even if when it originated wasn't, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But you just just scratch a little bit. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like that's that's all we're trying to do here at Holisticism. Yeah, just go a little bit deeper. But Anita, this has been so wonderful. Like I loved where our conversation true in true squiggly brain form. <laughs> we went everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> You brought it full yeah, circle. Yeah, well, but hey, we connected. We did it. It's all about flirting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so Anita, how can people find you and work with you and learn more about what you do? I am at Anita Visions on the socials. I'm not the most consistent poster, but I'm working on that. Yeah, I'm. my website is causeeffectcreative.com. You can find me there too. And I'm always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn if they want to. Yeah. And then this summer yeah. comes uh, my Hyperactive Imagination podcast. So right. I will let you know when that's live, but that's I'm good. very excited about it. It's about how to get folks from a place of playful possibility to practical progress. We need that. <laughs> we all need Implementation. All yes. Me too. You know? <laughs> we all need all of that help. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Anita, it was so great to talk to you. Thanks for spending Likewise. your time. Likewise. Thank you good. so much. It's been a pleasure. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so you can follow Anita on Instagram at Anita Visions and go check out her work. And you can follow Holisticism at Holisticism on Instagram. And we really want to know what you thought of this episode. And I can't, oh, I can't wait to talk to you about the creative archetypes. That's coming in a couple weeks. Oh, that's so fun. There's some good stuff happening in this series. So make sure you're subscribed. We also wanted to throw a little bonus your way. We have a really amazing database for creators that you may have guessed is on Notion because we love using Notion here. And we're going to throw it in the show notes for you to check out. It's an awesome place to plan a lot of your content. It's called the Content Creation Station, yeah. and it is like powerhouse literally everything you could want and yeah. more it's got how to come up with content ideas how to create an editorial calendar and an editorial calendar template it's got some 
tarot spreads you can do, oh, yeah. astrology calendar you can follow, planetary hours that you can sort of use to figure out when to write best or when to create best, and an editing station with an editing checklist. So lots of good stuff that you definitely don't want to sleep on. And we'll include the link to that in the show notes. All right. And we'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.